Well, it is, uh, it's an honor to present uh, the message from God's Word today and for those of you who have uh, come to be here together. Um, it's, it's great that we have opportunity to see one another, to engage in um, picking up some conversations. I love that in life with friends that we haven't seen in a while that uh, we can just pick up where we left off. And that's what it feels like to be back here this morning rather than huddled in my basement uh, watching on television. But it's an honor to present uh, this today. Today is a multi-layered day for me. And as Pastor Kevin has mentioned, um, yesterday was World Refugee Day. And so a number of churches around the world today are marking World Refugee Sunday. This is so significant for us uh, as a global reminder uh, to remember and pray for and think about those who need to seek refuge and what our response is to them, to care about the needs of displaced people, people seeking refuge and sponsorship, and people who need help as new Canadians to integrate into Canadian life that we might experience the love of Jesus together. But I'm also grateful that today is uh, Indigenous uh, People's Day and that we can express gratitude to God for the gifts that First Nations and Inuit and Métis peoples have brought to us who also share the land we come to know as Canada and that we honor their cultures today and that we honor uh, their history and stories. We acknowledge the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nations of the Anishinaabeg peoples on whose territory we are meeting and many of us reside upon these lands. I come a little closer to home. Today is my mom's 72nd birthday and I'm not able to celebrate with her, um, but I love her and I'm grateful for her joy and her love in my life. And yes, uh, today I'm thinking of my dad, uh, who loves my wife, or my wife, she does, he does love my wife. He loves his wife, truly. And he taught me and developed me in so many ways. And I'm thankful to have him in my life. And, uh, and so I think of him today. I'm grateful that I've had the privilege of being a dad. And uh, not everyone has had that privilege, um, especially... Uh, moms. But uh, I, I do miss hanging out with my kids uh, during this time of physical distance. Not all of them are in my bubble because some of them are working and we are living with my mother-in-law to try to create some safety for her uh, at her stage of life. So you can see that this is a multi-layered day for me. And you probably have a multi-layered thought about your life right now. Um, to add on top of COVID all these other dimensions of relationships. So I have all of that in the back of my mind as we come to this passage of Scripture today um, because the sermon is not about any of these relationships at all, but it's also about all of them. And our text this morning is Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 to 39. And I'm going to read it. It's part of the story of Jesus sending out the 12 disciples, and it ties in with what Mark shared last week. 
But here is the word of God, Matthew chapter 10, 24 to 39, which says, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household will have the same reputation. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in Gehenna or hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone, what a perfect Father's Day passage. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This is our passage today. Last week, Mark shared with us that showing and telling others about Jesus' kingdom was given as an assignment from Jesus to the 12. Similar to how Jesus has given all of us as followers a commission. And we engage in this whenever we care for those who are vulnerable, when we love others, or become involved in bringing healing and deliverance from the forces of oppression. And as Mark said last week, we're not always going to get it right. We will fail to do what Jesus did and what he invites us to do in our lives. That's because we're becoming like Jesus, but we're not Jesus. And this is the thought I invite us to ponder as we come to this passage today. Did you catch how difficult that passage was? There are some words in there that are really hard to unpack. And so I love that we are following the lectionary of reading and that this passage fell to me today. Um, but it brings a challenge for us, the calling to become like Jesus. Part of the challenge is in this thought of being a disciple of Jesus because being a disciple is not a familiar concept in our world today. Maybe apprentice would be closer. Do we understand apprenticeship? 
When people enter an apprenticeship, they enter a system of training for a particular trade, which involves both on-the-job training and some book knowledge or book learning. And if they do well, then they get their license to be involved in that trade. And something similar existed in Jesus' time for rabbis or teachers and their disciples. The goal of a disciple was to become like the rabbi, like an apprentice. And they did everything together for a number of years. And so when we look at this text today, I want you to hold that thought of being a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus, the calling to become like Jesus, who is the perfect teacher or rabbi. Even though we fall short, that's the calling of our lives, to continue to become more and more like Jesus in our lives. And it's helpful for us to hold that as the, the, the foundation of this passage, because this is not an easy passage. It has in it what some scholars or theologians call the hard texts of the Bible. Things like, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What does this mean, that we have to be afraid of God who has the power to cast us into hell? How does that fit with the grace of God, the love of God that is unfailing, the eternal life that he offers? Or another passage in verse 34, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Well, isn't Jesus himself our peace who has broken down the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles, male and female, slave and free, that we might all come with equality? What on earth does this mean? And so we have these hard passages, these difficult verses, but they're surrounded by bookends that are a little more accessible to us this morning. On the one hand are Jesus' words that we started with in verse 24 and 25. A student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above the master, but it is en enough for students to be like their teacher. And on the other end, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake by making a decision to follow Jesus will actually find their life. And these are the words to inspire those of us who are apprenticing or have made a decision to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus today to consider what is it that we've signed on for in being followers of Jesus. What is it that we've decided for ourselves to, uh, to frame our life? Have we considered the depth of this calling? Perhaps as we consider these hard texts that we'll look at today, given to the 12, that we can also listen to what Jesus is inviting us to consider, some of which may also be hard in our own life, but through which we can experience the hands-on learning as we apply it to our lives in what he teaches us. Let's invite Jesus to reveal his ways to each of us and to invite us to become growing, reproducing apprentices together with the church around the world. For being an apprentice or a disciple 
is truly the essence of the Christian life. Many of us have enjoyed the writings of, um, of a Christian leader, an author, a spiritual mentor and guide uh, who has, has gone on to be with God forever, Dallas Willard. And he impacts what it means to be a disciple. He writes, and this is one of his talks on discipleship, living as Jesus' disciple, I'm learning from him how to lead my life in the kingdom of the heavens everywhere I am, in every activity I engage in. And there are three dimensions of this learning. First, I'm learning to do the things which Jesus explicitly said to do. And second, I'm learning to conduct the usual activities of life in our home life, school life, community life, business, government, society, in the character and power of Christ. And third, I'm learning to exercise the power of the kingdom to minister good and to defeat evil in all of its connections on, on earth. Acts 10 verse 38 reminds us that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And that gives shape to our lives as apprentices. So I want to just pull out two thoughts today out of this passage. The first is that the passage invites us to know our own context and how Jesus invites us to follow him in our world, in our day-to-day, -day, right now, on earth. This is our cultural moment. You know, most of this is written to the disciples being sent only to the Jews. And it rings true with Jewish ears. If you have any understanding or background um, in, in Jewish uh, life or teaching in the Old Testament, this would just leap off the page. But many of us read it and go, I don't know what that means. Matthew's gospel is specifically written for Jewish people. And so Jesus is sending out the 12, not to the Gentiles, not to the Samaritans, but to the Jews. But later on, Jesus instructs his disciples to go, in Acts 1-8, from Jerusalem to Judea, the Jewish region, to Samaria, where the Samaritans lived. Those were Jewish people that, um, in, that inbred, inbred with the Assyrians. And to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. So there will come a time when Jesus is actually sending his disciples to these other peoples. And in verse 9 and 10, uh, back in the passage Mark covered last week, Jesus said, do not take any gold or silver do not, to take with you. No bag for the journey, no extra shirt or sandals, for the worker is deserve, deserving of his wages. Go and travel light, Jesus is saying. But you contrast that later with Jesus' teaching in Luke 22. Jesus asked his disciples, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? No, they replied, nothing. And he said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it. Now if you don't have a dagger, sell your cloak and go buy one. He's saying it's a different context, it's a different time. This means that some of the instructions that we're going to look at today are very specific to this situation of the disciples being sent out to the Jews. We can't go around and say every situation and time is exactly the same. 
There are times when we need to travel light, like this one, where the disciples went and they didn't even take money or a purse or bag or extra supplies. They went totally vulnerable and dependent on the generosity of others. That doesn't ever feel good to be in that kind of a situation. We don't like to be vulnerable or dependent on others. We all want to contribute something in life. The disciples were learning here not only how God provided for their needs because they lacked nothing, but they were learning to receive from the generosity that comes from others. It's part of their apprenticing, and it's part of my apprenticing, not just to give love, but to learn how to receive love, not just to give of the resources God has given to me, but to see that God has given resources to everyone and we are all to share them together. That's why when all people who share in our community here at Royal City Mission, we, we firmly believe and live out this value of equal importance. There's no distinguishing between those who work on staff or those who are former pastors, those who are in the kitchen and prepare food or those who simply share in the meal together because we are all invited to experience the joy and provision of God through people, through hospitality, through generous love, because everyone's value is not in the things that we bring, but that we bring ourselves. That is our true identity. And we need to learn that by being apprentices of Jesus, that it isn't in look at what we bring, look at what I bring, but look what God does when we humble ourselves together and value everyone. But there are other times to not be vulnerable. Jesus mentions, if you don't have a dagger, go buy one. This is a short sword. And it was often used in times of battle that people needed to be ready in opposition to others to defend what was right. So part of what it means to follow Jesus and to be his disciples is to be ready to ask, what is our cultural moment that Jesus is sending us to? Out in vulnerability or in preparedness to stand in opposition to the things that are wrong in our culture? We are called to know our context and to respond to Jesus leading now. And if you're anything like me, it gets tricky, doesn't it? It's tricky sometimes. It's not always black and white or simple. Perhaps this is often why we look to activities to guide us. Oh, we know how to bring good news or to set people free or to release captives or to care about the oppressed and the vulnerable because we just do the program. We join the circle. We show up at the meeting. We point to the web content. And we have a simple way of saying, there, I, I participated. I did my thing. But in our assignment as apprentices of Jesus, there's also something deeper, and that is, what is Jesus actually doing inside us that he wants us to think about? To test our motives, to look at our heart condition, the deepest part of our souls as we are involved in following him. Maybe it's not just about going to the rally, but understanding why we might go or we might not want to go. Why? Are we avoiding standing in opposition to oppressive words and actions or being judged for following the crowd or being associated with movements that may or may not be Christian? And we have to test our motives for 
belonging to things and being a part of things, where would Jesus be? He is always with those who are oppressed to lift them up and elevate them. And we might add more and more these days, how am I behaving? Even in online conversations about all manner of things, even about COVID itself. Uh, a local doctor here, some of you follow her, Dr. Emery Zajlik, and she has ongoing posts throughout COVID to uplift the, the spirits of people and say, there's, there's goodness that comes when we honor the science. And this past week, she had to remind people who actually don't believe we should follow the science and protect the vulnerable from COVID that her uplifting posts are, quote, not the place for their rants and disagreements. I'll leave your words up for a little while and then I'll take them down. See, she knew that there was a time for her to pull out a little dagger and defend a safe space for uplifting people. And she's doing that to honor Jesus. She's doing that to honor uh, good for people. Today, as I mentioned, is Indigenous Peoples Day. And so often we're quick to say, well, what, what have we done that hasn't produced any results? Or what am I gonna do now in terms of action? And you know, this might be a time that Jesus invites us, his apprentices of him, to simply be vulnerable. Maybe today we will sit and we will learn and we will pray and we'll resist that desire to move to quick action in response to the injustices that indigenous peoples have faced. It may be a place where Jesus invites us to receive hospitality and by our presence to show and tell the nearness of the kingdom of God. See, there are lots of different aspects of societal transformation that are part of the good news of the kingdom. And this is why people are calling out against systemic racism and hatred against others. When we think about our world today, there are so many little ways that we are called to announce God's kingdom values, to reveal his unconditional love, offer his welcome and inclusion of others who are often left out, or show Jesus' nearness, especially to the oppressed. And we've not been sent to Jewish people expecting Messiah. We're sent out into a world that's skeptical, largely rational, who think that our faith practices are about personal betterment. Instead, how are our whole lives lived out in harmony with what God is up to in human history? Where we have an, uh, uh, an undying willingness to live for his kingdom. That's the discipling call that Dallas Willard points us toward. To live our everyday life with Jesus, for Jesus, and in the power of his spirit. We need to learn our cultural moment and be obedient to Jesus. To let him shape our walk in how we are called to walk it out together with Jesus and with one another. Lastly, the passage invites us to die to self. I don't like those thoughts. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Jesus is not looking for easy words, but for true followers. He's looking for those committed to continuing the work that he came to do and is doing with us now. The church is literally the living body of Christ. 
called to continue to do his work. And people who are willing to lose their lives for the joy of finding it in Jesus, this is the invitation given to us. Do you find it interesting here that this is not the first calling of these disciples? They were already following him. They'd already made a decision to follow Jesus, but it's an ongoing calling for them to die to self. And I think that's really important for us today to see this as a lifelong journey. Following Jesus is a daily journey. It's not a prayer we prayed a long time ago or that was prayed over us when we were sprinkled or dedicated and nothing more. This dying to self is also not self-hatred, but total surrender to Jesus. Author C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. Hand over your whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones which you think wicked, the whole outfit, and I'll give you a whole new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Are we discovering the gift that God offers us when we learn to die to self? No half measures. And this is why we don't have to fear earthly oppressive regimes that come and go on planet Earth. Verse 28 says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. This may, as some scholars suggest, be the reference to the Roman Empire that came in with brute force and overtook the entire Levant, the Middle East, and, and Jesus is saying, don't fear those who come against you who can kill and annihilate your body, but they can't touch your soul. Fear the God who is over them, is what he's saying. Fear the one who has ultimate authority over all these regimes, and they are accountable to him. The Jewish hearers of this verse would have heard this reference to hell as Gehenna. Do you know Gehenna is a valley? of Hinnom, Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom. It's just south of Jerusalem. Now, those of you who understand topography, the way that maps work and elevations and so on, cities are built on a hill. And Jerusalem had this nice trench that flowed down the river, out a gate called the Dung Gate, if you know what Dung is, into the Valley of Hinnom, which was south of Jerusalem. That valley, had a stench. It was a horrid place. And it was a place where people would worship Moloch, the Canaanite god. It was a horrid place of worship where Moloch actually demanded child sacrifice. It was a place of death and stench and horror. And Jesus is saying here, don't look just to earthly regimes that are oppressive. Fear God because they are all accountable for what they do. And everything that is of refuse and stench, all of this hatred, all of this uh, worship in, in horror to other gods, 
has to find its account to the sovereign God. Dying to self means fearing God alone and not getting caught up with the story of oppressive regimes and letting that rule our lives. Dying to self also means putting Jesus above everyone else on earth. Jesus said, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace, I've, I've not, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. N.T. Wright helps us understand this when he says, whenever God is doing a new thing, dissension will invariably arise, inevitably arise. Jewish hearers would know that Jesus was quoting here from the prophet Micah in reference to the day of the Lord, which brings justice and judgment and a remnant of a few that would continue to be faithful. And so in Micah 7, he says, what misery is mine. The faithful have been swept from the land. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. And now is a time of confusion. Don't trust a neighbor. Put no confidence in a friend. Even the woman that lies in your embrace, guard the words of your lips. For a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. But as for me, Micah says, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. So the dissension and division even between people is a product of being far from God. But Micah says, I'm not going to become discouraged and I'm not going to let that story rule my life. I will wait for the Lord. I will watch and hope. I will keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. There may be times you have to put Jesus first, even ahead of the people that are dearest to you in life. And that's part of dying to self, is being willing to hold his ways over even the people that we hold dearest in life. Dying to self is just that. I am in, I'm 49 and a half years of age. It gets round up, I'm in my 50th year. And it's still a challenge to die to self. Don't you find that? I wrestle with pride, with seeking my own pleasure, comfort, gain, and even power. And all of this must be surrendered to Jesus. And that's not always easy. Audrey Assad, who is a, a songwriter, we sing some of her music here at the mission. She posed this question on social media this week. How do you know the difference between the ego and the Holy Spirit? I thought, what a beautiful question. Her music, some of which has been very inspiring and deep for us, is there for us. But she's contemplating at a deep level how to make sure she's not just grandstanding, calling it good work inspired by God, where it might just be a desire to look good. And that is fantastic introspection. It's a dying to self, dying to pride, dying to achievement, dying to appearance. And Jesus invites us today to come and die. To die to the facade of self-importance. To come empty, that he might fill us with his spirit. And the fruit of his spirit will bring blessing not only to us, but overflow from us to bless all we encounter. So what's the good news in all of this? 
What a horrible message today. To die to self, to have no idea how to navigate our culture and how Jesus is calling us to follow him. Well, where's our worth? There is good news. We have a sense of our worth being expressed here through the Father's care. Our very hairs are numbered. And for some of that, some of us, those are getting thinner and thinner all the time. But when I think about that level of care, the scriptures, Jesus says here, you are worth more than many sparrows. That's also a figure of speech. Sparrows, of course, have equal care because they don't have to worry about where their food comes from either. Their heavenly Father feeds them. And he takes care of each one of us. Is there a cost to following Jesus? Yes, there is. It's not come to follow Jesus and everything will be hunky-dory and happy-go-lucky, to use words that mean something to me. But in exchange, we receive his life, an abundant life, an eternal life, one whose kingdom extends to people from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue, that produces love and joy and peace and all the fruit of the Spirit, whose kingdom continues to grow in us and around us, and eventually, we're told, will culminate in the renewing of all things to God himself. What started in the garden will finish in the new Jerusalem, a city. And the wholeness of God's presence can be felt personally and more and more as we surrender our way daily to following Jesus. So let's consider the depth of this calling for ourselves today. How can we be listening for the things Jesus is inviting us to consider, some of which may also be hard, but through which we can experience his hands-on learning as we apply what he teaches us, to know our cultural context and to die to self, to follow Jesus in a lifelong journey and a daily journey, to invite Jesus to reveal his ways to each of us, to invite us to become reproducing disciples together as one global church. And amen. For those that are tuning in online, you can continue in the chat uh, uh, over on our Royal City Mission page. There will be instructions there for that. And God bless your day today as you continue to live and consider what it means to follow Jesus where you are. Thanks for being with us this morning. I'd like to close in prayer. God, we come today learning how to empty ourselves, learning how to appreciate our own brokenness, not to think of ourselves less than you see us, but that you might fill us and exchange our lives with yours. Fill us with the fruit of your spirit so that the blessing will not just be for us but overflow to others. Thank you for our community at Royal City Mission and for all those who come in contact with us through our individual lives and our collective experience here. May your life shine more and more. May your kingdom come, your will be done. As you invite us to die, may we experience the gift of the life that you give, which is far superior. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen.